Welcome to Radio Rehab Storyteller Series. If you're just joining us for the first time, we are now a daily show where I have a guest co-host in with me for the entire week, and we talk all things recovery. This week, my guest co-host is Ryan S. And on today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about cliches, you know, the recovery catchphrases, what they mean, and why they're actually of value. Check it out. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome back to the show. I am joined in studio by producer Shar, as usual, and our guest host for the week, Ryan S. Ryan, thank you for so much for coming this yeah, week. You've been great. Dana. And I, this is our second to last show for the week. So we discussed some of the topics that we wanted to talk about today. I'll just bring them up. And then that way, when we're when we're having our conversation, hopefully we can get to them. But right. maybe not. Uh, but a couple of things we're going to talk about are like the cliches and what their actual purpose is. And for those of us like you and I who've relapsed and gotten sober again, what's different this time and then litter mates and what that means so um i guess let's start with the sobriety the relapsing and getting sober again like right how is like for me i i feel like when i was sober the when i actually had some quality sobriety uh that was in 2001 when i when i first got sober for real and um I felt like, I, I mean, I did the work, I did all the steps, I did everything I was supposed to do, but I just felt, I feel like in res- retrospect, there was a disconnect between my head and my heart, you know? Like, I yeah. did a fourth step, I did it accurately, but it was all, you know, just like mechanical kind of. I knew what I had done wrong, I knew what I was supposed to be doing right, I knew what I was supposed to say, but I just wasn't feeling it. Like, this time when I did my fourth step, I was crying for other people. And I don't mean people I like did anything awful to. I mean just just like verbal abuse, like things I had said to people that I break my heart now looking back on it. Right. Yeah, I mean it's we evolve and develop over over the course of our life, you know. And for me, uh I got sober at 16, 21, 26, and now 31. And uh each time was a little different for me. First one was my parents, second one was Legal. Oh, yeah. 16, mine too. It's because my parents said, let me ask you a question. What would you like to do? Would you like to go to rehab or juvenile hall? And I was like, well, God, God, since you put it like that, I guess rehab. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I had like, uh, I had uh, gotten alcohol poisoning, you know, at 15 and my mom was just at her wits end and she said, yeah, you've got to, you've got to figure this out or you go live with your dad who's like a fundamentalist Christian. There's like a whole lot of Right. Whole lot of four step on that one. But yeah. <laughs> uh but nonetheless, so it was like, okay, okay, I'll straighten up, you know, and uh and so all every single time I went through the motions and I always encourage that with my kids at the house, you know, it's like just do something, you know, while you're sober. Just don't waste away while you're sober because you're going to build like you're we're you're gonna plant a seed and one day that that will grow, you know. Or, you know, like I, I don't know, I just I feel like in retrospect, when I looked back on the times that I was sober and the times that I was using, the times that I was sober were the only times that I was growing. Right. And the, Arrested development. You exactly. know, they talk about that a lot in our literature. You're not you're not growing when you're using. So it's like you pick up your your maturity level, your emotional and mental maturity level are back where you you know, when you first 
got sober, when you got clean and sober. Right. And I can definitely relate to you talking about going through the motions, you know, because sometimes yeah. it's just like I'm I'm doing what I'm told, like, you know. And when I came in in, like, uh, late 90s, it was still, like, this old school, like, take the cotton out of your ears and, and put it in your mouth, mouth you oh, know. God, like yeah. You know, and so it's just, like, all this kind of stuff, like kiss keep it simple stupid you know and just like it was all this hard-nosed roughneck shit and like right the like the diet like the uh the deities of aa were all like bikers eight eight like former ha construction worker blue collar types or at least the ones that i chose to spend my time with because they were cool you know yeah yeah they were characters and i was like 16 and if i'm gonna miss out on like high school social life then i'm gonna go hang out with cool people and yeah we'd play poker and whatnot but it was it taught me how to have fun you know that like life doesn't end because there were definitely i went to meetings at 16 i remember one meeting i went to was on a friday night and there was a dance happening at school and like i was just sitting Sitting there crying because like I wanted to be there, but I knew I'd get loaded. All my friends were I loaded. Totally you know? get that. And I remember I totally, totally relate to the being that young and going, okay, the fun stops now. Even when I was 21 and, and I got clean and sober that time, I remember going, Well, I'm never gonna have any need for this outfit again because I'm never gonna go out. You know, right? right. <laughs> yeah, I never so dramatic. Be- I know, so dramatic. <laughs> I know, and I never would have believed that the fun starts when you're sober. The hardest I've laughed yeah. is when I've been sober. That's that's like real laughing. Right. The other thing uh, you and I discussed a little bit was how how they say. You know, when you're sitting here in a meeting, your disease is outside the parking lot doing, doing push-ups. Ups, yeah. yeah, like those <laughs> cheesy things. Right. And I found for me, it's like, once because you were talking about how there's a seed that's planted. And one thing that's different about it is whenever I've relapsed because the seed has been planted... It's really different going out there with, you know, a head full of, of 12 a, steps, with right. a, and a body full of chemicals, you right. know? It's, yeah. it's like the seed does get planted. and right. But my disease, I didn't feel like, you know, it's not, it wasn't at first, it was, didn't feel like I'd been doing push ups. But really, if I look back on it, it's when I picked up, it's almost like I had never stopped with my disease. Sure. Yeah. It's uh, for me, like, I'm a I'm a planner, I'm a plotter, you know, and so one thing that I noticed a pattern in my behavior and my relapses or uh, is that I would basically for about two months, I would back away from the program. And then in that time, I would convince myself that like, this wasn't sobriety because this was by choice sobriety. And like, I just, this was like a health thing that I was doing, you know, I, like I would tell that to, I would have a girlfriend typically. Oh, and she oh would okay. Be a, oh, be so a, you're explaining this to one of our co's. Right, right. So she would be like a normie and she right. would only know me sober and she'd be like, you don't seem like those AA guys, you know, because I wasn't tatted back and I wasn't like a roughneck. You know, I always kind of had like a, I don't know, whatever, uh, like a je ne sais quoi. I was going to say, did you almost say je ne sais quoi? I did. I was going to try and rein it in, but fuck it. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, they just kind of were like, they would convince me, or I would convince them, and then in turn they would convince me that, like, I didn't have a problem. Right, because you so, were actually convincing yourself. Right, and so, uh, you know, like, I remember when I was uh, 23, I started dating this 30-year-old, like, had her shit together, six-figure, professional woman, and I had basically moved into her apartment. I was sober um, at the time, and then we went out to, like, a tasting menu, and uh, and she had, like, oh. a wine pairing with it. And so I was like, I'll just take a sip, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so this was, like, the most epic, like... Uh, 
like relapse that I had. So that night, like I did, I just took like a sip of each one to, to taste like the squab or whatever the hell we were eating. I know. And- I never understood. I've never in my life understood why. I never will. The right. way they describe it, it's like it's fruity yet arrogant. Right. It's like, hey, what are we? Are, are we not talking about a beverage? Right. You know? like, <laughs> For sure. Sometimes it's Ooh, a this little- one's sassy. You know. Yeah, this one's like- got a lot of sass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like so I did this and I and I faked Playing the funk. Up, basically. Right. And yeah. I, I faked the funk for one night. This was a Friday. And on that Saturday she had friends over and I proceeded to drink like sixteen beers. And I was like, let's shotgun beers. And they're like in their thirties and so it's all reminiscent. Oh, so that's like, so funny. They're like, you know, I was like the young, fun boyfriend right. at first until like I kissed her friend goodbye. You know, oh, like, Oh Lord. Becky, thanks for coming over. You know? And oh God. So she slept on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never forget, she had this like little two pound chihuahua, and uh, and I slept in the bed like a good selfish alcoholic. <laughs> of course, and, of course. Uh, and so she comes in the next morning, and I'm just waking up like in a stammer. I'm still drunk, and uh, the chihuahua's lying next to me. Misha, shout out to Misha, and, uh, and <laughs> hi, doggy. Uh, right, and so she goes to sit on the bed, and in this like as she's walking towards me, I'm realizing that I'm wet. You know, like I'm like, uh oh, there's like something's going wrong here, you know. Oh. And so, but I haven't like materialized it yet. She sits down, and I had peed the bed, you know, right. And she sits down in it, and she goes. What happened? I look at the dog and I go, Misha! Oh, of course you did! Because oh. this two-pound chihuahua created a three-foot puddle right. on the bed, you know? Oh, my God. So it's just so fast sometimes, you know? And I was just like, off. she put up with me for like two months, thank God. But like, uh, or God bless her, you know? Yeah, but it was like, totally. I was a fucking wreck. I went from being like... A good kid, you know, like I was in school, I was uh, managing a Safeway at night, you know, and like, uh, and I just like, it crumbled, you know, dropped out of school, I, uh, I like got demoted to a checking position, you know, it's just like everything sort of unraveled. And yeah. That one was super demoralizing because, uh, like there was a lot of love there between she and I, but, um, but she was so like at the end of a rope by the end of it. Oh, yeah. Know? I mean, yeah, you weren't ready for it yet. It's right. like, I can totally... I've been in relationships like that, and I, it's like, as they say in the South, bless their heart. Right. Like, I just have to say that because, you know, I was my... The last time when I was, went from sober to using, I was in a relationship with a guy who had no experience with addicts and alcoholics. He was dormy. He, you know, he could smoke weed. He right. could drink because he didn't, you know, and then right. he could not do it the next day. And I had three years clean sober when I met him. So it's like when I wanted to start, when I started drinking, he, it, I was able to convince him and convince myself in the meantime when he was like, okay, wait. You were just a heroin addict, so you can you can drink alcohol, and I was, right. and that's what I was going around telling everybody. And you know, like, that, well, alcohol wasn't my problem. That's what people don't realize is that, yeah, at, at that twenty one, I had gotten off of meth, and so I was so proud of myself because I was, uh, you know, we just talked about it yesterday, like. I was crazy. I was batshit crazy. And so for me, like, to be a little, like, you know, I was a little reckless as a drinker, but, like, it was nothing compared to what it was. And so oh, yeah. that was, like, a point of pride for me. And uh, it's just weird how we kind of, like, justify these actions because I would I would treat people terribly. And, like I said, it was very selfish, you know, almost immediately. And uh, it took me three years to come back to the rooms because I didn't want to face that. I didn't want to oh be like God, a baby yeah. again, you know, because when I first get sober, I'm like, 
I'm crying in the back of the room. I'm like, you know, I get like, I'm an emotional person, you know? So it's like to, to lose that little shield against the world in alcohol and drugs is always so like detrimental for my, uh, like for my my self-worth or something. You yeah, know? and they they make us say, they want us to say pride, but it's not like a pride ego kind right. of thing. It's really, it's your sense of self-worth. I think the hardest I ever cried was when I, when I had to identify as a newcomer again this last time. Um, and I knew that, because I said, oh, I don't want to raise my hand. Do I have to do it? And my sponsor was like, not if it's going to keep you from coming back. Like, if it, right. that's going to be your reason to not get sober again this time, then no, you don't have to. Right. But when they said, are there any newcomers, even though everyone in that room knew me, knew I was sober, knew I had been sober, right. and did not know I had been drinking, I knew that if I didn't raise my hand, I would go home and I would drink. Yeah, for because sure. Because I wouldn't have to be accountable. And that's right. the whole thing. And you know, and when I did it, I said, "I'm dating. I'm an alcoholic." Oh my god! I was saw every people were handing me tissues from everywhere because I was just crying. I mean, right? Was, all the women came into their purses, you know. Oh yeah, Here all you the go, women honey. Yeah. Purses. But it's like you know the the two things that I remember people saying to me. Uh, one guy who I barely knew said, "I'm glad you came back. We've missed you." The right. fact that anybody even notices me or cares about me for sure was it touched my heart. And then uh, somebody hugged me and said, "Welcome home." Right, and that's when I really cried because that this really is my home. It will always be my home, and I will always have a home no matter where I go in the world. Right, because of this, because of you know this program. Right, and for for me, like uh, living in San Jose, it's very like Type A. A lot of engineers, a lot of like go getters. You got to hustle down there. It's like you know. Oh yeah, because that's where the the um, you know Silicon Valley, Silicon is where Valley. all the tech business and all those places are. So like people run their program that way. Like when you stand up. As a newcomer, there's like 20 people, like, hey, you know, da 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 da. Like, and there's so they're, yeah, I had the people that were, that I had known before and that were happy to see me back. But additionally, there's a lot of people assuming that this is maybe my first time in and like, here's numbers and here's a phone list and da 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 da. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, it's overwhelming. Oh you my know? God, that is so overwhelming. But uh, it's a good, like, it's all good spirited. And I try and tell like my housemates that, you know, because they say like, God, like, people just will not. Like, you'll give them your phone number, and then they're calling you. And it's, like, overwhelming because it's typically, like, no one, at least for me when I'm using, I'm calling my connection. But no one is really, like, people will hang out with me, but no one's calling me to hang out, you know? Because they're sort of like, oh, Ryan's on a good one. Like, we're just going to let this fizzle out, you know? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of, it's unusual, or it's, like, jarring to all of a sudden, like, be... uh, sought after you know because like they want to sponsor you they want to help you and it i i feel like a piece of shit when i walk into these rooms so it's like uh for me that's kind of like i don't feel worth it you know i i get that 100 percent. i know it's like they always say like uh that's one of my other favorite cliches is we are egomaniacs with inferiority complexes Mm -hmm. you know because it's like i do you do kind of feel like everything revolves around you, but I also feel like the world's biggest piece of shit. You right. know, like, <laughs> right. I mean, at the end last time, it's like I had felt like the world's biggest piece of shit long before uh, I, you know, hit bottom. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about rock bottom tomorrow. So right. uh, but these are these are excellent topics. So we're about out of time for today. Um, if you would like to 
write us. It's Radio Rehab at GoToProductions.com. That's G-O-T-O Productions.com. You can call or text 415-496-9511. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab, Dana. And feel free to give us like a great rating and subscribe to the show on iTunes, please. And thank you. Keep coming back. We'll see you tomorrow. Sex and drugs and rock and roll Is all my brain and body need Sex and drugs and rock and roll